I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to the Doctors of Running Virtual Roundtable, where we, a group of doctors of physical therapy, discuss the art and science to the stuff that we're putting on our feet. Today, we're really excited about the episode that we've we've got going. We have more than usual. We have Matt, David, and I, but we also are welcoming the uh, manager of running apparel and, geez, I can't do it. Product manager of footwear and running apparel for Mizuno USA, (laughs) Tina Danford. There I am. (laughs) <laughs> I, I literally tried practicing right before we started recording so that i wouldn't screw it up and i screwed it up anyway so tina thank you so much for coming you, she's been on the show before so thanks for coming oh, I'm back happy to be here and again anytime you want to uh invite me hopefully the next topic is not uh vietnam or factories being shut down and it's something more exciting but i'm very excited to be here uh nonetheless <laughs> Yes. Yeah, we are we're really thankful. So Tina agreed to come on and give a little bit of insider information on what if you've been if you've been inside of the running shoe world or you're a shoe geek of some kind or trying to get shoes, you've noticed that either product is getting pushed back or it's not available and there's all these little issues going on. And so Tina agreed to come on the show to give us inside information on what that's like on the company's end. And so She's going to talk about their supply chain with Mizuno, which happens to be similar to a lot of other companies. So uh, we're, we're really excited to just hear what she has to say and give us some information that we couldn't get otherwise. So again, thank yes. you very much. And before we jump into that, before we jump into the conversation, though, we always want to thank everybody for following us with what we're doing. This is episode number 64 of the podcast, and it's kind of crazy that those numbers are going up. Um, so if you like what we're doing or if you have feedback for us, it does help the podcast grow if you choose to leave a review for it on whatever uh, whatever platform you're listening on. So please do that. It helps grow our reach. Um, there's also a way to support through the Anchor app. And so there's a link to that if you want to become a supporter of what we're doing, which just helps us keep making the podcast uh, move forward. So thank you guys for your your viewership and being a part of this I'm whole thing. I'm impressed at how smooth. All right, Tina. So let's, let's kind of... I'm impressed at how smooth that was you say? in product manager of running footwear and apparel. Ooh. That was a tough one. But that last I know. one smooth. <laughs> Let me try again. She is the product manager of running footwear and apparel for Mizuno USA. Yes. yes. We'll just Got copy it. paste that over. Yeah. Crushed it. <laughs> yeah. I'll, unfortunately, we don't edit this thing. It's all just like organic, which we try to do too, yeah. just to keep it authentic. So I mean, uh, we're all just stars. So everyone... That's what it is. Yeah. That's that's what it is. <laughs> Um, you know, so let's, let's maybe just start Tina. Could you just define, like, I'm just going to use the the term supply chain issues, but could you give us the definition of that or just kind of what a better term would be? Yeah, no, I think uh, supply chain issues is exactly the way to, to go about it. And, and honestly, it started a year and a half ago at the start of COVID. So there's a, you know, variety of, of ways that supply chain can be affected. It can be affected at the the factory level, at the shipping container level, at the port level. 
um, or even from an air freight perspective at uh, the airport level as well. So there's a variety of, of reasons. And then obviously at the personnel level as well, too, when you talk about uh, factory workers. So again, there's a lot of, you know, supply chain issues that basically, you know, level up to kind of the greater issue that we have today. Um, but it can be, you know, as small as kind of uh, there's not enough shipping containers or boats or literally the the whole country of Vietnam is shut down because of, of COVID. So that's what you guys are facing the most right now because your production is happening in Vietnam. That's correct. That... Um, so, yeah, we use Vietnam factories. Um, I will say from a running industry um, in general, like pretty much I would say the top 20 shoes in the running industry are also all out of, out of Vietnam. So it affects all of us. So it's not Mizuno. It's, it's all of us are kind of in this together. Um, and to basically start mm. off there, I mean, Vietnam in general, as far as kind of from a factory level, shut down on July 1st. So if you think about what happens at the factory level, they basically take materials from wherever they get materials. They develop shoes, they produce shoes, they get them in a container that gets picked up by a ship and basically shipped out. Um, so when July 1st mm. happened, basically everything was left on the floor. So any shoes that were being developed um, or produced were left kind of on the production lines, as well as any shoes that were already Whoa. produced and in containers were not able to ship as well. So, you know, we had a mixture of that, which was, which was really difficult where we actually had thousands and thousands of shoes that were actually just in containers ready to ship. But because the factory was shipped or was shut down, they were not able to ship. So, Again, even, you know, just trying to get it out the door was was a difficult process as well. So shoes like you guys can ask questions too. Yeah. you know, whatever. I'm just I'm just jumping in, but um, feel free to ask whenever. Um, so the shoes that were produced or like partially, I'm assuming there's partially produced mm -hmm. shoes as well. What what's happening with with those? Does that will that just sit and wait until they can resume or do they with from a standards perspective, do those get trashed? Like what's the. Or I don't know if you can share all of that or yeah, whatever. Yeah, uh, it's, it's a sit and um, wait for sure. Um, so it's basically, you know, I, I don't know exactly the amount that kind of sits on the floor if it basically gets kind of packed up and put into one area and then, you know, ready to resume as soon as things kind of uh, get back to normal. Um, but the shoes, I mean, again, we had thousands and thousands of shoes that were produced sitting in a container that just couldn't even ship out. So um, you know, and it, and it, wow. I will say from July 1st till October 1st is basically that date of time where, um, the factories weren't operating at all. And it depends on the province. That's the thing that's been interesting. I think about this whole process as well is like it, you know, think about the U S obviously some States, you know, were better at handling COVID than other States. And it's very much like that in Vietnam where there were kind of COVID outbreaks and, different areas where factories were. So it just depends kind of where your factory is as well. Mm. So, um, you know, the area that our factory is in has actually handled it very well. And the staff is now 100% vaccinated, but there are other areas that have had COVID outbreaks and they haven't been able to contain it um, as well. So it really is province to province. And again, it's kind of a, an ever-changing, you know, fluid situation. So wow. that's fast. It's uh, that's fascinating to even think about. I didn't realize that it was a complete shutdown of, of factories either. I had in my, in my head, I don't know where you guys were at with it, but in my head, it was a lot of, of a shipping issue. I thought of like the ship tipping over and <laughs> yep. like, you know, whatever. Like I'm like, Oh, yeah. all the shoes are <laughs> <Mayday, Mayday>, yeah. <laughs> 
Um, but it was, it's a, it's a lot bigger than that. Totally. So yeah. what did, did you have something DJ? No, it's just or... crazy. Cause you think about how perfect every little thing has to go into the production of a shoe and the delivery of a shoe in order for it to reach that local running store or online retailer, like, or just to reach just the company in general. It's like, there's just so many little steps that have to just keep getting checked and go on a perfect timeline and then you throw a pandemic in the middle of it and it's, yeah, yeah. I this also speaks to some of that which one of the challenges is right is going to vietnam there's such huge healthcare disparities in terms of what's available i mean like you know i'm not gonna say one way or the other as a healthcare professional i have my opinion but um you know we're very lucky to have access to what we do in this country and a lot of other countries don't have that same access so something like this could be far more detrimental and impactful also not that it wasn't impactful here but that's yeah that stuff and each country is going to handle it differently so yeah. like you said like every state's going to be different so that's challenging especially when so much business goes through that that much really difficult also not just for our economy right and for different brands but also for the economy of vietnam that right. was really challenging right right yeah i think that's the biggest i mean obviously you know, they've been able to, I think, handle it as quickly as they have been because it is such a big part of their economy and then obviously affecting our economy as well. But, you know, when they first started opening up, like I think, you know, the date that they had opened up only about, and this is going back to say October 1st, only about 3% of all of Vietnam was vaccinated. But the factories in that area basically were going up to 85%, 90%, 97%, basically because they're like, this is our economy. We have no choice. Um, so, wow. and it, and it yeah. wasn't just like, it was pretty exclusive of how they did it as well. It wasn't just necessarily everybody who worked at the factory. It was everyone who was within walking or biking distance. And I'm just talking about our factory in oh, general. Whoa. So I'm not sure, you know, it, how other factories right. um, handled it. But so that, I mean, you're talking about, you had a hundred percent of your workforce and now you have about 50% of your workforce. So um, so again, they were just, they were doing a, gr a great job of keeping it contained, but again, you know, it wasn't necessarily like, all right, October 1st, we're open. Like, here we go. Obviously there was, um, a lot that they needed to do before then. So, so production is resumed for mm -hmm. about a month now. So the wheels are starting to turn. Maybe that, maybe that brings us to another question about, um, just as consumers, what kind of can be the expectation um, and, and what, both what things have been already affected can be expected to continue to be affected and kind of when does, is there a normal insight or is that too far away to even Yeah. Project? I mean, I don't want to sound like doom and gloom, but like 2023 is probably the normal insight. Um, you know, depending on how well your factory is doing, you know, wherever you're producing product, um. You know, I think some people will have some product in Q1. So, you know, I, I know that a lot of people have probably heard this, but like, you know, start your shopping early, start your shopping now, because um, most people probably won't even receive product by end of December or January. So and that affects, you know, all of us. That's, you know, electronics, that's, you know, whatever um, can be kind of made. And I mean, one thing that, you know, I don't want to go off track here, but one thing that is lost in all this as well is like, you know, obviously China had their shutdown, but we get a lot of materials from China as well. So it's not just like a one-stop shop when it comes to Vietnam. So there's a lot of moving parts there. Um, but yeah, so I would say, you know, definitely start shopping now because you'll be lucky you've kind of get everything that you need. Um, and then it will kind of ebb and flow. So like, 
you know, Q1, you know, we're looking to be in a good position, to be honest. But that's because all those containers that I was talking about were able to finally ship because we had shoes sitting there. Um, but then when you look at the next quarter, mm -hmm. those are all shoes that needed to be produced. So, you know, next quarter, quarter two could be tough again for everybody. Um, and so that could mean product launches being pushed back. That could mean lack of inventory in the running world or in the rest of the world. And it'll kind of ebb and flow kind of throughout 2022. So um, it'll continue to be difficult. And to me, if you have like a, a spring marathon or a fall marathon lined up, like for a spring marathon, I would get all my product in January or February if I can. Um, if you're running in say like April or May and in the fall, you know, Q3 as much as you can. Cause I think those are your best chances for people to kind of get what you need, but yeah, it'll be, it'll be an interesting next year as well. I mean, we're, you know, we'll have some delays in product launches, of course, because again, we were still developing shoes throughout that process and we lost three months of development for, you know, product in 2022. So yeah, it'll be wild. <laughs> I, I don't know another way to so say it. So don't bank on your, uh, you know, your little, the little leaks for you shoe geeks, the leaks that you get on like protos of the gram or something. Don't bank on those. Don't. For <laughs> get something Absolutely. that exists. Get something that yeah. exists. <laughs> the, the, the one, of, of everything negative, the one positive is I'm, I'm happy. I'm guessing a lot of people are not going to be buying brand new shoes right before their race and switching. We get these messages all the time going, Hey, I just oh, bought yeah. this new shoe three days before my marathon. What do you think? You're like, good. My luck. favorite is when they buy it at the expo the day yeah, before. The day before, please don't do that. And they're just like, let me just put this on I... and go run twenty seconds. So, so <laughs> please so listen. Excited. Please listen to Tina and buy your shoes early. Break them in and make sure you're ready. It will make you. You'll get to the start line healthier. You'll finish the race healthier. Agreed. The one positive, <laughs> as much as we geek out, and I've done that multiple times, so no, never for a marathon, but no judgment. Yep. And I will say, you know, kind of in that in that same trajectory as well, like normally I think as consumers, we expect certain deals or certain like Black Friday or Prime Day or mm. whatever it is. Um, those are probably going to be fewer and far between next year because everyone's going to want to hold on to their inventory because they're not going to know what they're going to have. So Again, um, mm -hmm. you know, it not may not be for everybody, but I, I see kind of a lack of deals for next year also being in effect just because people are just trying to hold on to inventory and make sure they have we have a Mizuno shoe for you, whatever it is, whatever version it is like we want to right. make sure we can still satisfy our consumers. So, and so just to clarify, when you say sense. next year, yeah. you're not you're not just referring to like Black Friday, Thanksgiving this year, 2021. You're also talking 2022 as well. Yep, both. Just based on how long that could go. Wow. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty crazy. It extends beyond just the running industry too. Like I just happened to drive by some dealerships the other day just for cars. Like not that I'm in the market to buy one, but it's just interesting seeing the emptiness of a lot of these lots. And it's just like, they just don't have the inventory. Yep. We got a We got a thing in the mail from our Toyota dealership and they're like, we're buying cars, yeah. specific cars. You have the year and model that we want. Um, so we'll buy it from you. We're like, well, no, we're, yeah. <laughs> we're fine. But that is where it's at, where there's that need for to have it. So that makes sense to not expect sales or special deals that maybe exist in the past because they need to have right. the product to sell. Absolutely. I was, so, uh, we wow. finally like got to a point where we were building out our backyard. We 
uh, wanted to buy some furniture for like outdoor furniture. And so we bought it from Home Depot. And basically, we just kept getting like delays, delays, delays. And when it was going to arrive, and I kept getting like pending charges, pending charges, pending charges. And I was like, you're killing me. So eventually, we were able to cancel it. But again, they were like, no, just hold on. Oh, like, man. we'll. I swear it'll oh, come please. at some point. And then eventually the pending charges went away and they stopped emailing me. But I was like, I mean, again, obviously from running shoes to Home Depot to whoever, like it's, it's happening for sure. Wow. So ultimately it, there was a, for in the running industry and beyond, but in the running industry, a three month stop in production, um, like a complete halt did that alter kind of how you guys uh, approached research and development? Did you say, hey, let's pause this too, because we're going to have to push everything back? Or do you try to keep the schedule for the future from a development standpoint of new shoes and have eventual releases that maybe are closer together than typical? Or what's kind of the, and I'm sure every company has a different strategy, but, um, and maybe that's still, there's so yeah. much unknown, but no, I'm just and, curious. And I, you know, without giving away all the secrets, of course, um, like we were getting updates week by week, like week by week, as far as like capacity mm. of our factories, the rate of vaccination. Um, and, you know, again, some of our factories are doing okay and some of them are not doing well. And that, you know, affects us as a business, of course. But um, we had everything out on the table at different points um, of this decision-making process. So, you know, something that would normally come out in the fall, do we push it back to the spring of 2023? Um, do we push it at this date? Do we push it at that date? And that date and those dates basically moved, um, you know, pretty frequently. And, you know, you've probably heard this from other brands as well, but, uh, some people would basically stop producing certain colors. So that way that they had enough factory capacity to be able to produce new product updates. So that's, that's, that's definitely mm. a real problem there because, um, if you look at basically Q1, like in Vietnam, they have Tet Holiday, which is basically the, uh, factory shuts down and it's basically a holiday for the workers. And that's, I believe, a week off. I don't want to misspeak. We might need to do like a, you know, corrections of Tina there after you guys do the editing of this. <laughs> um, but we have to look at again, when Tet Holiday falls, when they're able to produce shoes, will, will they be able to get a rider out next year? Will they be able to get a sky out next year? So those are things we kind of kept in mind um, when looking at anything that launched in the fall if we needed to cancel certain colors mm. or delay product launches, or again, you know, maybe not do any launches at all. So, um, and that, that happened week by week and we just kind of, you know, played it by year. And then once we knew that the factory was opening and they were continuing to communicate with us, we were able to get kind of a plan in place, but I mean, that was only a month ago. So, um, and we're still getting updates every day. And I, and, you know, I think factories are pretty good at kind of, uh, under promising and over delivering. So we're hoping that's the case for next year where they're telling us the worst case scenario. And so it might get a little bit better, but again, at, at any point too, and we know this with like, you know, China and even the U S like you can basically get to a good point where, you know, the vaccine or the, um, the infection rate has plateaued and then all of a sudden it goes back up again. So at any point, I mean, that could happen in Vietnam and the factory closes back down again. So, right. So like overall product, so, and I, I don't know if a lot of consumers know this. I, I know this just from having worked in the running industry before, but there are certain release dates of colorways. So it's not just, there's an overall product, right? Whether it's apparel or footwear, 
you have the original launch date with the original colors, but there are also set color release dates following that. So it sounds like companies are electing to go, hey, we still have this product, but because we want to save these materials, especially cost-wise, right? Not knowing how it's going to sell, whether they're going to get this on time, because we don't want to, if you don't want to flood the market, right? If you have a product, you release a certain number of colors at once. If you release a ton all at once, you don't know how you're going to market those, buy them. So it sounds like people are just canceling colorways, keeping the product and going to save these materials, and then we'll continue to release X colorway that's coming next. Yep. Correct. Yep. A hundred percent. And it... not going to name names, but I know of a very specific company that is doing exactly that. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. And again, it's kind of just like yeah. survival of the fittest, like who's kind of the smartest, who's trying to get ahead of the game before everybody else. And, um, you know, it's, you're, again, you're just doing what you can with kind of a week's worth of information at a time, which is which is challenging. Um, I mean, the one thing that we look at all the time, especially when I kind of do our forecasting and our buying is factory capacity, because again, the factory can only produce so many shoes and it's different every month. So some months it's, you know, say a hundred thousand shoes. And then some months because of Tet holiday, it's 50,000 shoes. And so we know that when we need something to deliver and then we have a production month, like what we can produce during that time. So again, if you want, you know, I'll take, the Brooks Ghost, if the Brooks Ghost is going to launch in, say, September, but then there's a lot of shoes or, say, like a launch or, you know, something else that basically is maybe not a volume driver that, you know, the Ghost is, they might say, like, all right, maybe we'll push the launch back to spring because if we don't produce all of these Ghosts, like, that could hurt our business versus the little bit of launch that mm. we do um, that wouldn't, you know, significantly hurt it so much. But Because you do... So consume- you do want to move that product, right? That's that's the big thing is going, you don't want that coming in and going, it's sitting here. And now this is the old colorway. The new stuff just came in. How do we get, you know, working in, in running shoe stores before we'd have that problem where we'd have a colorway come in early, but the company would release too many of the same product. We just have tons of the products sitting there. We can't move it out. Unfortunately, if we got a new colorway coming out and the old colorway is there, oftentimes it would get shipped back. And that's, that's really rough for the company. And for consumers too you can potentially expect changes in what you your typical launch or release calendar like a like you just said there might be shoes that companies push back and there's other ones that they keep on schedule depending on what their sales look like it sounds like they just and they got to be you guys have to make some guesswork and be creative and hopefully get it right. Yeah, and you're you're wrong like. every time. Like you're never it's never perfect. Like if you're <laughs> if you're right every time in forecasting, like there's just no way. Um so like we, you know, we have like our plus or minus that we try to hit and again, you know, we're fairly good at that, which is nice, but you know, you you're never right in forecasting. You can never predict covid, you can never predict factory shuts down, shutdowns and you know, material changes and stuff like that, but you just kind of have to predict that the worst could happen and, you know, how you'll be able to, to work around that to obviously kind of keep the, the company moving. So, um, and one of the, one thing we haven't talked about, which obviously kind of wraps into this as well as price increases. And that's a huge, you know, consumer mm-hmm. buzzword yes. right now, very much so. Yes, for sure. So you're expecting 100%. that to go up. Yep. Everybody. Okay. It's already happening in other industries. Yep. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, January will probably be the latest we'll start to see that, especially in the running industry. And, um, you know, there's a lot of reasons into that, you know, materials are more expensive ship, but it's really, it comes down to shipping costs, like shipping costs right now are just exorbitant. Um, 
And a lot of companies mm. have been eating that this year, I would say, but they'll only start to increase. And again, it's, it's frustrating. We're, again, we're, we're eating some of those costs. Some of it, unfortunately, does get passed on. We're trying to find a balance there. And it's a difficult conversation to have. But at the end of the day, like, you know, we don't want the consumer to pay an arm and a leg for our footwear because we want them to come back and we want them to find value in the product. But also in order to keep the company moving and continuing to develop product and pay someone in marketing and, you know, pay me in product and pay, you know, other people on the sales right. team, like, you know, we have to try to find that balance um, of what those increases are. So that, that's the big thing. And this goes both ways is that, you know, at the end of the day, remember that this shoe isn't just a shoe, right? It's somebody's dream. It's somebody's product, right? This is a company at the end of the day. Um, but I think it's interesting to hear, you know, as much as it, I, I, I will be the first to admit that I'm the first to complain about shoe prices. I always get upset if I can't get things on sale. <laughs> that's just me, right? Like I, you know, always looking for a deal. Um, but we're, we've been very lucky in the United States and he'll and he'll also buy a four hundred dollar pair of shoes. Okay, that, that was a, that was that a mistake. Happen. That did happen. That did happen. I thought it was going to be super cool, be the first one to get the review out, and then somehow the, everybody else got the shoe out before me because this they sent it the correct product version. I had a pre production model that was not the same, and I have now confirmed that. So that was a huge mistake, and I will never live that down. This I will a, never do that again. This is a huge. That was a huge trigger that I knew oh, would get him going. I'm sorry. I'm gonna You're go right in the corner. I think about. I still have that pair of shoes. I think about it every time I put those on. I'm like, I'm gonna wear these out into f whatever four hundred dollars of miles is on these shoes, even if I get injured repeatedly. I'm going to do it. Jeez, but on a, on a side note, I was curious because I've heard different things about one of the, one of the things I've been interested at is I've, we've got, through doing this, we've gotten to talk through, to people around the world. So whether it's from Australia, Europe, even Russia in various areas. And one of the comments that people have made, I've always asked, you know, what are price differences like in a lot of other countries, United States for a long time, we've gotten really lucky that shoes are not nearly as expensive as they are in other areas. And it sounds like shipping costs is one thing getting the product like Australia, you know, every time I talk to my Australian buddies, cause I'm, I am the, the training that I got as a physical therapist, it, some of where I did my fellowship stuff, the, the concept started in Australia. So I have several buddies in Australia mm -hmm. that I talked to, um, this is called the Maitland approach. And they always make fun of me for various things, which is just what Australians do. And they're just, they're just joking and they're awesome. But one of the complaints they have is going, you guys complain all the time about shoes, but you guys don't realize that we're paying like for your hundred dollars shoe, we're paying like, 180 $200 plus. Mm -hmm. But I think it sounds like this might be the time that we can't get away with that anymore is that, you know, shipping on a lot of stuff, plus inflation and stuff like that. You know, at the end of the day, it's an industry. If, if an industry needs to survive, it's got to make money. That's right. important, right? Just to, to sustain it. But it's, it, you also want to balance it. As you said, it's not, you want people to come back, but this is, this is very complicated and it's, it's a, Totally. Yep. And I have a four hundred dollar pair of shoes yep. that were not worth four hundred dollars. <laughs> <laughs> and I and again I'm gonna say it one more time, I wasn't even the first one to get the review out. Oh. I was so upset. What a shame. I sh I shouldn't have brought it up. I I'm have just gonna go up. cry while I'm studying for my PhD <laughs> exam later. It's fine. Yeah, that's this week, right? Yeah, Matt, it's Friday. Your test. I was like one exam? single tear during comps. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> for everyone out there, please pray for my, my comprehensive exams are on Friday for my PhD. And if I fail, I fail the whole program. So I am, you know, trying not to freak out. Oh, anyway, you'll be great. You'll be great. <laughs> you'll Thanks. be great. Yeah. You got this. You'll be great. Mm -hmm. So Tina, when it comes to the supply chain stuff, um, is there anything that we haven't touched on? Uh, it, you've done a good job opening kind of the door to what are all of the different components and how that might be affected at different levels and how it has been affected. Um, and I think what it's going to look like for the, what it may look like for the next year and a half, that normalcy is not necessarily within um, easy reach. Uh, is there any other aspects of this that, that you feel like we've missed? Um, no, I mean, I, I guess the only thing I could also think of that is just a little bit interesting in all of this as well as like, we think of the majority of supply chain as just like factory to container, to boat, to port, to here. But, um, a lot of brands will be air freighting in, you know, product, which, um, costs a lot more money, which is a very difficult process. But also there has been delays at like the airport through air freighting as well. Right. Like obviously it's a, a very quick process and, um, you know, that's something that we didn't expect as well. So it's just one of those things where you just kind of hmm. figure it out as you go and you, you know, you try to, you try to make it work. But, um, you know, again, 2023 is really the time where I think we'll start to see, uh, start to see it level out. And then I'm interested to see, cause at the end of the day, I mean, a lot of these problems aren't going away, shipping costs, um, lack of containers, lack of ships, ports being backed up. I mean, until until they build another port like Savannah and L.A. will probably be constantly backed up. Um, so until they fix those problems, hmm. like I, I don't know if I don't know if prices will, you know, ever decrease because of all that. So, um, you know, I remember getting my first riders at $90 and now, you know, we're at 135 this year and you can imagine with price increases where we might be next year. So, um, it's just one of but those that, things. Yeah. That's across the industry though. That's, you know, everybody, those prices are going up. So again, expect totally. that, you know, but shout out to all the uh, LA people that work at the ports. Um, I, they are working around the clock and still backed up. Yep. It is amazing how hard they're working and they deserve a lot of credit for that, but it's still super backed up. Very true. Very true. There's just, I mean, there's a, I'm going to give a shout out to uh, one of our employees. His name is Matt Baum and he works on our fleet beat side of the business. He is fascinated by the boats and the ports and he actually lives in Savannah, which is one of our ports. And he has a daily tracker app that, you know, periodically he'll send me and just little boats floating out there like little battleship waiting to waiting to get in and just like hoping it's their turn. Wow. And um, yeah, it's again, you can, I, I don't know what the app wow. is. I'll have to, I'll have to find it and uh, send it to you guys, but it's fascinating. Literally you can just look it up every day of how many boats yeah. are out there just sitting kind of in the ocean, just waiting to get in. So my boss that has would one be. of those for flights Oh, oh. of just air traffic. Yeah. yeah. That'd be really interesting. Um, cool. And I, it, from what I'm hearing from all of this as consumers too, um, learning to exercise patience and kindness towards your local store, or if you're ordering online, uh, exercising a lot of patience towards these companies, because there's not a lot of control that can be had by these stores that, you know, are trying to stay afloat or by the, the companies selling themselves or running warehouse or whatever. So 
maybe if we can just work to be patient and kind towards all these other people trying to do something well that could could suit everybody well as well um and if if 2020 hasn't taught us yet that things are unpredictable then maybe we should go back and remember what 2020 was because you know we just talked about all this and projected even maybe 2023 and we could be in 2023 and things could could be totally different for a whole new reason that we've never heard of before so just learning to be patient and flexible first first not first a bad rule, thing don't say it I'm just kidding is this a, is this a fight club, is fight club? Is gonna be a okay club. i was like first rule of, <laughs> of don't talk yeah. about fight club. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no that's that's honestly a really good point because um you know if i'm a if i'm talking to a consumer right now i'm kind of saying two things one is you know don't shop by color right now because it's possible your color might not be available so mm-hmm. if you love the wave rider you know we have eight colors shop all eight colors i mean that's you know, just find what you can. Um, and then same thing too, you know, it, if there's a shoe that you love and it's not in stock, don't be afraid to to try a competitor unless it's, you know, unless you're going from Mizuno to a competitor, then I would say stay with Mizuno and just wait six months. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We all love each other in this industry, but, <laughs> but, you know, just make sure again, you're just, again, being patient with one specialty. And if you only want the, the pink mm-hmm. color, then, just try to be flexible because you just don't know what will be in stock. So, I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the Deal. deal. Listen to the deal. Listen to the deal on Spotify. All right. Well, let's. Um, we might take a pivot here if Tina is Always. willing to take a pivot. But want, wanted to uh, give you a chance uh, to kind of give a sneak peek into the Mizuno world and kind of what's what's upcoming in whatever capacity you can. Um, you guys have also, and we can also go back to what this year has been, you know, because if things have gotten shadowed by the reality of COVID and changing on timelines and stuff, I think you guys have jumped back into creating a performance shoe for a couple years in the rebellion. So maybe you could give your, your little take on the rebellion and kind of what your vision was for that shoe and seeing it come to fruition and what that's like, as well as looking into kind of um, what's, yeah, what's no, coming I, next. I definitely appreciate that. And you know, it, it has been a, a rough and crazy year. I mean, Rebellion was supposed to launch in August and, you know, we launched it in September. Rider was supposed to be in June, made it to July. And then um, a shoe called the Wave Sky 5, which has a proprietary material that literally the responsiveness rate of it is out of control, unlike any other material that we've used ever at Mizuno. And again, it's kind of, you know, been overshadowed just by what, you know, what's kind of going on in the world. Um, so, you know, Rebellion, it, it started kind of from our, our DNA in the U.S. as far as uh, racing, performance, new technologies. And, you know, we wanted to, to get a performance in the market with a different plate technology. So, you know, a lot of our plates are either PBAX or TPU, but this one is a fiberglass, fiberglass reinforced plate, which is totally unique to us. Um, so again, if you think of like the springiness, a good example is like a, a diving board where it just has that springiness, but it's like super durable, 
um, and again, just kind of bounces back real quickly. Um, so those were our, our yeah. three launches for this year, the, the Wave Rider 25, Wave Sky 5, and Wave Rebellion. I will say next year, we will have a couple new shoe launches um, that doctors are... New lines outside of correct, your core stuff. Um, that doctors are running cool. might have learned about a little bit as well. So um, it may have tested, <laughs> but they're two shoes, again, we're super excited about with proprietary materials and, again, just trying to push... Um, what Japanese engineering can do. So, yeah. Cool. No, that is exciting. Yeah, we won't, yep, I can't say you. anything else. <laughs> I like I like seeing them. <laughs> I, I, I would so, like, to, would like so, to give a shout out to the, the newest way writer, which got me through a Achilles injury because of some dumb stuff that I was doing and was totally at fault for. But four hundred dollars uh, stock X shoes. <laughs> no, that was not it. Oh, that, oh. I right, was we're, like, we're I'm, I'm out. I'm out. We're out. I'm gone. That one cuts deep. <laughs> That's awesome. There's a whole other story of drama behind that, by the way, that was also horrible. But is that a no, whole podcast um, episode? Basically, like, is that just one episode? It could be. It, we do need we to. Might have to. We should do one just yeah. to let him get it out. I think I he's think just like holding on to it. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, he's like gagging, but he's yeah. just got to let it all go. A whole, I don't know. It's a terrible yeah, analogy. I mean, no, oh, that's sorry. what it describes it. Yeah. Between that and then like some episodes of Running Shoe Geeks, it was like traumatic. That's like, yeah. <laughs> related related to the shoe. And it was like, uh. But, you know, shout out to the, the Wave Rider. I mean, I think I was really impressed with the foam updates and how Mizuno Energy has continued to evolve. And especially with the variability. And that's kind of, I guess it wasn't, I, I was aware, but not fully in, in like kind of the front of my face of how you can take the same phone and it can be so different depending on you're just changing the durometer of the same phone that you're using, right? So the phone that you feel in the Rebellion is going to be totally different than what you feel in the Rider, but that's because they have two very unique purposes. And so that's very cool as, uh, you know, we're really lucky that we, we come from an area of rehab and biomechanics but to start learning about some of the material science of like what it takes to do that. And that's, it's not easy to do. So like kudos to every company, especially Mizuno that goes through like the chemical processing and the engineering to do this stuff. It's kind of mind blowing. And especially right now, like everybody's trying totally. to innovate right now, just to be on that extra mm -hmm. edge. Is, right. Yeah. You gotta be on it. Very, very true. I mean, the, the shoes on our feet are like literal concoctions yeah. of what the material yes. science and engineering world are just putting together to try and create like just the most responsive, but still, you know, durable piece of footwear that you can have. Right. Because you don't want it blowing out after like 50 miles. That would be sad. Yeah. <laughs> Unless I'm wearing them, then that's a given. That's yeah. gonna <laughs> it's going to happen anyway. <laughs> All right. Is there any other questions, Matt or David, that you guys have for Tina right now or anything else you want to say about I took these off-roading so I cannot put them on my head. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I have a curious question. I don't know if you can answer this, a design element. And I'm starting to see this in more shoes recently. Mm -hmm. I'm, curi I'm curious yes. about what, what this is. So I'm seeing this more and more, not so much in the trainers, but in more mm -hmm. of the performance trainers and some racing shoes where it's like, it's not a split and between the heel and the forefoot, but it's just this elevation like this. Do you have, and I, I'm guessing cause it's, it's following the plate mm -hmm. is what my assumption is, but there's a, is there any science or any, any reasoning behind that? I'm curious. I'm not, not 
criticizing, just curious. No, yeah. I mean, I, I think you're 100% is definitely following the plate. Um, I mean, part of when you look at the DNA of those shoes in general is they look to put you and propel you on your forefoot as quickly as possible. So again, eliminating maybe a little, little bit of that material in the midfoot kind of helps do that for you. Um, and that was the purpose for us. Um, again, you know, a lot of shoes in that category, you'll start to see, I mean, I have some prototypes here that maybe I'll show you post, um, you know, post show that again, are, <laughs> right, we got to turn this off now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Even, <laughs> Got it. We're done. Yeah. <laughs> it's even more exaggerated. So I, I think I wouldn't be surprised if you start to see kind of some of those things, uh, even more exaggerated in the future. So. So yeah, so so it's yeah. follow, following the plate, but still, it sounds like when you're hitting, you know, it follows the plate, but still when you land, it still maintains the rocker shape. And I guess that's with so many shoes as the stack height gets higher and you're adding plates and you're adding more stiffness, you do need to rocker the sole because, you know, creating the appropriate flexibility there is tough. So I, when I first started seeing this, was like, uh, how are you going to maintain? So it sounds, how are you going to maintain the rocker, right? Because mm -hmm. you stiffer shoes faster shoes higher stack shoes you got to do that but it sounds like that doesn't interrupt that it's almost like a i'm going to use the wrong word here and people that do design and and physics please don't judge me it's like not a double ellipses but like what's that called we're kind of like curves up and down like an undulation yeah like a... yeah see that was the correct term i warned uh... you i'm doing a ton of statistics <laughs> right I, now i, I could not... be wrong too yeah, though because i'm like... doing a lot of stats not physics right now so give me a break yeah. But so it sounds like that maintains. And so that's going to be something that's exaggerated because I've seen some other companies that are starting to do the same thing where, you know, I, yeah. we, I think I especially would complain in the past about going, why are you splitting the midfoot? There used to be those, those midfoot shanks, mm -hmm, right. which are slowly disappearing. Um, and mm -hmm. they do work really well for some people, but they do also kind of give way. But it sounds like with the combination of the stack height and the reinforced plate, when you roll through it, it's collapsing enough that it, Sounds like it still creates that rocker. Right. It's not interrupting that. Yep. Yeah. It's really yeah, and I can just yeah. say anecdotally too, it also allows for some variation in the foot strike for me personally. I notice like with the rebellion specifically, um, it's one of the most versatile pieces of footwear that I own. And I can go slow in it and that heel strike can be relatively comfortable. And I can go fast in it and get up onto that forefoot and I don't know if the not decoupling, but the just that raise there. I don't know if that makes that transition point a little bit smoother. If that like that load shifts a little bit more anterior on the foot strike mm -hmm. itself. I don't know. Like, but um, just anecdotally speaking, I think it's one of the reasons why I can do it at various paces and it still works yeah, for me. I'm yeah. really curious about the design of the plate, mm -hmm. especially these raised edges, both on the mediolateral side. That's something that works super well for someone like, like me because it creates stability both directions. Mm -hmm. I'm curious. I don't know if you could say this because I know that some of this is proprietary information, but what made Mizuno decide to do those the raised edges on the plates? Yeah, I mean, really, as far as like a contact point, because obviously the goal where the raised edges are, are like, you know, purposely, hopefully your first contact point. So again, if you go through the wave plate cycle, like it's supposed to basically compress and kind of bounce back and give you that responsiveness. So if you hit at that highest amplitude, you're going to flex it basically down to its potential and then back up where if you hit in the heel, you still have to go through the lowest point to the highest point to the lowest point again. So the goal is to kind of hit you on that highest amplitude so it can basically flex back quickly and give you the most responsive kind of reaction it can. 
So, yeah. and the longer you run, like sometimes, you know, if you're in, you know, 10 miles into your 13 miles, your gait can slow or can become uneven, or again, it can, you know, depending on kind of what's going on. So the goal is, you know, from mile one to 13, you're getting the same support because if it's just basically midsole and no plate, you know, you're probably exaggerating that deformation of that midsole and that, you know, obviously can lead to injuries. So we're trying to at least keep you centered on the platform as long as you can go. I mean, it's grippy. It's just like, it feels really, really like, I feel like when you see an outsole like this and it's almost like lug like, but it's not quite lugs. Um, you almost like think off-roading and things like that, but it actually grips really freaking well on the road. It's like, like when you start going, it's just like, like, I don't know how to describe it. Like it almost just like catches and pulls the road. And then like, I've taken it off-roading and, um, done a few trail segments and things like that in it. And it's done good. It's done, it's done pretty well. I think the actual rubber itself, however the material itself is it might slip a tiny bit on the dirt but it catches pretty well and i mean i know it's not a it's not a trail shoe so it's like right this is like going beyond (laughs) what it was made for but it works really well and i can take it through a variety of things i i did a 20 plus miler in this shoe a few weeks ago and like during that run i went through probably four or five miles of like different kinds of trails and (laughs) some like rocky and bouldery some like mulchy and horse traily and like and then the majority being mostly like roads and maybe a little bit of sand thrown in there too so (laughs) oh my goodness man i i have also done well there was that one time what was it It wasn't the endorphin speed i think we were testing and like i took it down this technical trail that i I didn't know that we were going to go down that way when I made the, when we did the run. And then I was just like that moment where you're like, I <laughs> See, just like, the nice part, the rebellion, you have to send it. Yeah. The rebellion outsole can do that though. And I've also taken it on like yeah. full on trail rods. And I'm really lucky to live in Monrovia where there's lots, we have some very steep, but lots of trails here. And I had no trouble with grip. Now they're not the most technical trails, but it's still dirt and steep road and, this this grip is pretty good. I was initially a little bit worried about outsold the durability because especially me, but it held up really well. And that's something that's been consistent oh, yeah. with Mizuno racers that I've also found over time, having tested a bunch of stuff that some of it I will not mention here because it's, I will say it. Thank you. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's always these, these nubs always end up being really durable. So I'm really impressed. Oh yeah. Also shout out, one of my favorite Mizuno shoes was the Mizuno Wave Catalyst. And this reminds me of that hmm, yeah. just a little bit faster though. Yeah. So that's what I, I appreciated as a mild stability geek. It's almost like the wave rider. I always wanted it was, it's like that performance up-tempo shoe that can just do a little bit of everything. And it's snappy enough to actually take out on workout day and, and really hit some fast miles. So huge kudos to Mizuno. I really, really like this shoe. It's, it's in the running for a potential award this year, and I'm still making my decision on that. And we will we'll see. I got what like what four weeks or so less than that. All right. Well, now that we've blabbered on about our experience with the outsole, Tina, can you just share a little bit with us about kind of what was the inspiration for creating this outsole the way it was, and kind of what Mizuno was up to with it? Yeah. So it really kind of started with our like original DNA of 
racers that we've done in the past. So think like Wave Ronin, Wave Elixir, probably shoes uh, that you've heard and known and love. Um, so we wanted to kind of like insert that DNA back into the rebellion, but obviously knowing that, you know, shoes like the Ronin and the Elixir, while they have a fan base, like, I don't know if, if we took them and put them in today, if they would be as relevant. So we wanted to have that kind of DNA and, and throw it in there. So that's where you see that G3, which is a polyurethane resin. Um, and basically it's attached to a polyester mesh and that's attached to the midsole. Um, because from a dur durability point of view, that was kind of through the development process, what we found was like kind of the perfect marriage there. Um, but you will see on the outsole as, as well, like we kind of show that pattern of the wave plate in there in the forefoot. So you'll see mm -hmm. this kind of fork pattern, which is a really, really cool look. We were definitely happy with how that came out. Um, but really like we just love this material for kind of any racing or speed category, just because it, to your guys' point, it grips really well. Like our um, rep in St. Louis, this guy, Jason McLeod, he used it on a super rainy marathon and it was like pouring and he's like, he's like, the grip was unbelievable. I would turn a corner and not miss a beat. Um, and so it really is, you know, it's not an all-terrain product, but again, for any type of like slick surface, like it just, it really measures up to any outsole material that we have, so... Well, Tina, thank you so much again for spending time with us today. We always appreciate your insight, especially on a topic like this where you have such inside information and we just always enjoy spending time with you. So thanks for giving up your Sunday night to come record with us. And again, for everyone who's been uh, following everything that we're doing, please uh, just keep checking us out on doctorsofrunning.com. And if you have questions for us or for Tina, you can shoot them over to us on our email. That's doctorsofrunning at gmail.com. And then obviously we're always on our media platforms, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, et cetera, et cetera. And so uh, we're have just having a good time on this journey with you guys. And we'll talk to you next time. Yeah. Don't forget to tell your friends, your family members about Doctors of Running. I've already told several friends and one of them will send me uh, your Instagram posts. And so Chris Regan, shout out to you, is now number one fan of Doctors of Running. Um, so yeah, don't forget to tell your friends. This group of guys is fantastic. So I just, I appreciate the time that we get to spend together.